it is to have your word, what a blessing it is to read it and know that it is true. So God, I pray that you be with us this morning. I pray that we can set aside distractions in our minds and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that even especially for me right now, that um, as I go through your word, I stay within your word, that I don't go outside of it. God, as we've been studying the I am statements of what you said, of what you revealed yourself to be, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've said and for all the promises that you give us. So I pray that this time will be set aside and set apart for your glory and your honor and your praise this morning. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 8, verse 58. John 8, 58. 8, 58. John 8, 58. As you're turning there, hopefully you can multitask a little bit. I want you to raise your hand if this is true. How many of us have ever been to a physical, actual debate? Just raise your hand if you've ever been to a debate. Keep that hand up. Don't be shy. Keep it up. Now, now keep it up as I ask the next question. Raise your hands if you've ever witnessed or seen a debate, whether on TV or online. Keep your hand up. Raise your hand if you know what a debate is. So most, most of our hands are up, right? You can put them down. <laughs> See, when a debate is moderated correctly, it can be a great time of learning, of listening, and of uh, and explaining. And I don't know if you know, know this. I did a little bit of research. Uh, you call out the answer if you'd like. Do you know what is the most viewed debate as of today? Okay, which one? Do you know? Close. So with 84 million people watching it, the most viewed debate to this day was Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton in 2016. Over 84 million people watched it. Just to put that number into perspective, the Super Bowl that same year had 100 million viewers. The Super Bowl is known as the most worldwide witnessed event on TV. So 84 million, that, that, that's pretty significant. People tuned in and watched their political candidate debate. And that doesn't even include online viewers. That's just TV viewers. As I mentioned before, in an orderly debate, in a debate there are rules. And when the rules are followed, there's times to talk and there's times to listen. In a successful debate, it's a conversation. It's not a one-sided bullying of the other side. It's a conversation between two parties without any name-calling or yelling or talking over each other. I feel like if you watch debates nowadays, you don't see that at all. But that's a story for another time. So in today's text, we're going to be reading a conversation, a debate, a, a conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Jewish people, and that includes the Pharisees as well. And it ends with the Jews picking up physical, literal stones to murder Jesus with. So if you have your Bibles, John 8, 58. Before I read it, I just want to share where we're at in case you haven't been here, in case you've forgotten. We've been going through the I am statements that Jesus has made. There are seven statements that he reveals about himself in John's Gospel. He says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. In John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. And by each one of these I am claims, Jesus is claiming to be God. There's no mistake in the language he's using. He's claiming the name, the holy name of God that God reveals to Moses and says, I am who I am, ego imi. And he attributes it, Jesus takes that name and, and uses it for himself. Also, Jesus reveals an attribute or something, a, a nature, a characteristic about him as God, as Messiah, as Savior in each one of these statements. So John chapter 8, verse 58, let's read that. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Here we have yet another I am statement from Jesus, and some theologians and pastors have said that this statement, this I am claim that Jesus made, is the most clear and the most direct and the most bold claim that Jesus had of being God. And as a result of the statement, the Jews went from thinking of how to kill Jesus, thinking that they, hey, I, we want to kill him, to actually acting on that thought, to pick up stones to actually throw at him. And in order to get the full picture and the full weight of this statement, we actually have to go all the way back to verse 31. So eight, chapter 8 of John, verse 31, and we have to read this in context. And in these verses from 31 to 59, we're going to see a conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Jews. Jesus is going to say something, the Jews are going to respond and say something. Jesus is going to respond and the Jews are going to say something. So it's back and forth. So if you have your Bibles, it's very important to follow along. One, to know that I'm not making this up, that this is actually in the Word of God. But two, it can be a little confusing because it goes, Jews, Jesus, Jews, Jesus, Jews, Jesus. And, to under, and my Bible at least has the red letters, so I know it's Jesus talking. I don't know if you have that. It's very helpful sometimes. But we're going to see this debate, this conversation. And if you have your notes, I'm going to take it section by section. I'm going to break them up. And there's going to be three main points I want to focus on this morning as we read through these texts. The first one is that Jesus offers freedom. Jesus offers spiritual freedom. That's point number one. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus offers truth. Jesus offers spiritual freedom. Jesus offers truth. The last, we're going to see the deity of Jesus Christ, the claim to be God. <clears throat> so starting at verse 31, this is what we read. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, this is the Jew speaking, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Then Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So earlier in John chapter 8, right, because this is halfway through his chapter, Jesus revealed himself as being the light of the world. He boldly claims that all who follow him, they will not walk in darkness, but what? They'll have the light 
of life. And then we also see a few verses after that. He also claims that he is not of this world. And Jesus says that if you don't believe in him, you will die in your sins. Now, as a result of Jesus' teachings, we read in verse 30. So just backtrack, look at verse 30. Because of what Jesus has claimed and said, it says this, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in him. And now when we get to verse 31, it's a little different. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So there's believed in and believed him. These are, in my opinion, and every, every commentator and every, every line of research I looked, this is a different group of people that Jesus is talking to than those in verse 30. These are Jews who believed Jesus. They didn't believe in him. Maybe they thought some of his, his teachings as a rabbi were true. Maybe they thought he was a morally great teacher. They believed some of the words. They believed him, but didn't believe in him. Earlier in John's Gospel, John, John makes this distinguish, like he distinguishes between a true disciple and a disciple a lot. Even if you go back to John chapter 6, verse 66, Jesus reveals to be, to be the bread of life to a crowd of over 5,000 people that he just miraculously fed. And then he later talks and teaches, and then it says many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him because the things that Jesus said were hard to follow, were hard to do. So we do see that there are disciples, which literally just means a follower, a learner, right? Someone who is an understudy and they're looking at their master or rabbi. We have disciples who believed Jesus. They liked some of the things he said, but there's a difference believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this after he washes his disciples' feet. He says, by this you will know the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how can we tell a true disciple from a false disciple? Jesus would say, by the love we have for each other. If we are mimicking Christ's behavior, Christ's love for us to others. That's one way. Even in James chapter 2, James sets up two different types of faith. There's a dead faith and there's an a living, alive faith. And he says, dead faith does not save you. You have to have an alive, active fruit-filled faith in Christ. That is the true faith of a true disciple which saves us. So when we're going to John chapter 10, verse 31, the crowd that Jesus is talking to are those who believe him but do not believe in him. Even in, the, in those verses we read, he says in verse 37 towards the end, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Right? They believe Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. And in this section, Jesus is offering freedom to this crowd. He's saying, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, verse 31, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is saying, in order to be free, you have to know the truth. In order to know the truth, you've got to be a true disciple. In order to be a true disciple, you must abide in Jesus' word. It's all built on abiding in Jesus' word. And we looked at this word abide when we looked at the I am statement in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine, he uses this word abide. It's a word that means to continually remain, to not give up, to stay connected to. We cling to Jesus' words daily. Jesus is offering freedom to these Jews who believed him but did not believe 
in him. And next we see their response. And this is the start of the conversation that goes back and forth, back and forth, up until the end of this chapter. In verse 33, the Jews name drop Abraham. They boldly claim, we are the offspring. We are the descendants of Father Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. We're free because of Abraham's faith. He is our father. We don't need your offer of freedom, Jesus. We don't need it. Thank you so much. We, it's okay. We don't need it. We're already free. We have Father Abraham. Had many sons. Many sons, right? Now, either these Jews are being so prideful that they're blind, right, or arrogant. Israel was in, e- was in Egypt for 400 years enslaved. Literally, they were slaves. They were captives of the Assyrians and the Babylonians who conquered them throughout the Old Testament. And currently, they're under Roman rule. And I don't think, right, I think they're, they're proudly proclaiming a spiritualness, not really a physical. I think they would know their history that they were enslaved. But they're proclaiming that they're blessed by God. They're the chosen nation Israel, right? We don't need your freedom, Jesus, because we are descendants of Father Abraham. God shows us and God will bless us because of Abraham's faith, because we are from his lineage. God is pleased with us because we are Jews. God loves us no matter what. And now at first that might sound crazy as you're reading that, but we still, we still see this in churches around the world today. And I hear it from kids in youth group. I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians. I'm a Christian because I go to church and I raise my hands during the songs and I sit in the front row. Or I'm a Christian because I go to church every week and the pastor likes me. The pastor takes me out to breakfast. So I'm a Christian. I'm all good. What Jesus is doing here is he's combating their arrogance with a harsh truth And he tells them why they need his freedom, why they need spiritual freedom. In verses 34 to 36, Jesus is saying, whoever sins is a slave to sin. He's talking about spiritual slavery. And he says that only the Son can set you free. Only the Son has the authority, the power to set us free. And Jesus is pointing to the flaw in their claim. He's saying it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a child of Abraham or not, if you sin, and we all have sinned, you are a slave to sin in need of a Savior to free you. We are in need of Jesus Christ alone, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And in verse 37 to 38, now we're continuing down, Jesus calls out these Jews, and he says that they seek to kill him because his word finds no place in their hearts. See, he's saying, you love Abraham, but you hate me. And Jesus goes deeper and he says that the words that I'm saying are from my father, God the Father. And you are doing the works, you are doing the will, you are doing the desires of your father. And the Jews are still thinking at this point, oh, he's talking about Abraham. And eventually we'll see who the father is is that he's referring to. So again, in this section, in this first couple of verses, Jesus is offering spiritual freedom. As Christians today, I think we have to understand and be honest that there is a severity and destructiveness and evilness of sin. I think what the devil likes to do is make you think that your sin is not that serious. 
It's just a little lie. It's not harming anybody. It's just doing this or saying that. It's just gossip, right? It's just, it's just hate. At least I'm not murdering them. The Bible's clear. Sin is serious. Sin demands death. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that our natural heart condition, apart from Christ and apart from the Holy Spirit, what giving us a new heart and a new mind and a new nature, apart from Christ, we're dead. Our hearts follow Satan, his influences. We live as children of disobedience, children of wrath, children of Satan. And this offer that Jesus is giving to the Jews It's still an offer for us today. We are only saved, we're only offered freedom, we're only offered forgiveness from our sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Jesus claims to be the truth, he claims to be the way, he claims to be the life. There's no other way to be set free than having our faith and hope in the works of what Jesus Christ did on the cross that we could never do. So he's offering these Jews spiritual freedom but they're too blind to understand. They're too proud to understand because, again, we're the chosen nation of Israel. God loves us no matter what. We're sons and daughters of Abraham. The next section, as we continue reading, we'll see that Christ, Jesus Christ offers truth. Point number two. He offers the Jews, or he tells the Jews, truth. In verse 39, it says, they answered him. So this is the Jews responding back to Jesus. Again, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to, him, said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me and a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Again, Jesus says, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. Again, we see the Jews responding to Jesus' offer of freedom. No, thank you. We don't need it. We, We don't need what you're offering. And Jesus replies back, what? In truth. He is truthful, and he says that if you are Abraham's children, not physically, he's already admitted that, yeah, they are the offspring, but spiritually, if they're actually Abraham's children, they would be acting and doing the same works that their father, Abraham, did. Abraham had faith in God. He obeyed God's words. He trusted in God's promise. I did a little study on Abraham at youth group. And it's funny, once you start actually writing things down and taking note of the time that passes, for 25 years, God revealed to Abraham, I think if my math adds up, oh no, I'm doing quick math, he was in his 70s, God reveals Abraham, you're going to have a child. Abraham's name actually means father of many. And he reveals Abraham, you're going to have a child. And for 25 years, Abraham trusted and trusted and trusted. And finally, when he was 99 years old, God fulfilled that promise. So for 25 years, Abraham had faith in God. As we were just read in the scripture reading, he's mentioned in the heroes of faith section of Hebrews. Jesus is saying, this is how Abraham acted. You claim to be his children. You look nothing like your so-called father. 
Unlike Abraham, who loved God, the Jews wanted to kill God. They sought to kill Jesus. They hated him. Again, Jesus says a second time, you are doing the works of your father. And then their response back to Jesus, I don't know if you caught this, we talked about it a few weeks ago when we looked at I am the light of the world. They took a jab at Jesus' birth. Their response back to Jesus' truth was what? An insult. They, they said, we are not born of sexual immorality, Jesus. We have one father, God. They're saying, Jesus, we know who our father is. There's no mystery unlike you. We weren't conceived through a sinful act. We know who our father is. It's God. Because they knew that Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. Right? There was a little bit of a scandal of controversy there for the Jews. So they use that as a jab, as an insult. They take the low blow to Jesus. And I just, again, as a quick notice, how quickly they move from Abraham being their father now to who's their father? God. God's our father. Jesus rejects them as truly being Abraham's children. Why? Because they don't treat him as, if, as how Abraham would treat God. Again, Jesus tells them the truth, that if they're the children of God, they would love Jesus because the Father has sent me. That's what Jesus says. And the Jews can't seem to win with Jesus. When they say, well, we're the children of Abraham, God said, or Jesus says, you don't act like him. Okay, well, we're the children of God. Jesus says, you don't act like it. You, you hate me, and I'm from God. God has sent me here. You hate what God has sent. Now, in this next couple of verses, we're going to see who Jesus tells them who their father is. In verse 44, <clears throat> you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. Let me read that again. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now backtrack, right, to verse 31. These are Jews who believed Jesus but didn't believe in him, and we see why they don't believe in him. They're not of God. They, they can't hear what Jesus is telling them. And just take a moment to really have the picture in your mind of what Jesus just did in front of the Jews who are God's chosen ones, his chosen nation, the offspring of Abraham, right? They're just boasting in all of their proudness. Also, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time that the Jews looked up to and were like, man, I wish I could be like them. They're so holy. Jesus tells them truth. He reveals truth and says this, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. You think you're children of God, you're not. You're children of the devil. Just imagine those words as it's piercing these Jews and these Pharisees. So we're building up to this claim that Jesus is going to make <clears throat> that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. But he's telling the, the Jews, the people, the truth what they need to hear, but they're unable to hear it. In these verses, in this section, Jesus is redefining sonship, daughtership, 
what it means to be a child, not in terms of biology, not in terms of who your ancestors are, who you're descendant from, but in terms of obedience. Jesus is redefining sonship in terms of obedience. What makes someone a child of God? According to Jesus in these verses, you love Jesus because he does the work of God. That's verse 42. In verse 47, someone who's a child of God hears Jesus' words and obeys. There's the obedience. Why is Satan their father? Why are they sons or children of Satan? Because they hate the truth that Jesus is giving. The word of God, they're hating it, so much so that they want to murder him. That's verse 44. In verse 43, they do not hear Jesus' words. There's no obedience. They are disobeying. They, they are anti-Jesus, anti-God. Look at verse 46. Jesus makes this outrageous claim. I don't know if you caught it. He says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus questions them, who among you, I just revealed to you the truth, who among you can even bring a charge against me? Which one of you can tell me a sin that I have done that I am guilty of? I would never dare ask that question because my parents' hands would go up, Stephanie's hands would go up, some of your hands would go up as well, right? Only Jesus can ask this question and not get a response back. Who convicts me? Which one of you convicts me of a sin? We see here the Jews, who at this point are very offended, they decide to skip this question. They can't answer it, not because they don't want to, but they can't. They literally cannot answer this question. Instead, they resort to the oldest trick in the book, name-calling. They go back to name-calling, insulting Jesus, which will get us to the last point, point number three. We see the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. Verse 48, <clears throat> the Jews, right, which one of you can convict me, Jesus says. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And to call a Jewish person a Samaritan was one of the worst insults you could possibly do. The Jews view the Samaritans as abominations, as half-breeds. They were Jewish people who married, who turned away from, 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 from God, from being Israel, they turned away, they disobeyed God, they married pagans, they turned and pursued idolatry, false gods. They had children. The Jews viewed them as traitors. They hated them with a deep passion. It was a sinful and racist hate. The Jews had a racist hate towards the Samaritans because of their identity, because they defected from Israel. The Jews attacked Jesus' Jewishness, his nationality, his, his chosenness as being a descendant of Abraham by saying what? Are you not a Samaritan? You have to be a Samaritan. It was a racial slur that they threw at Jesus. Now on top of that, they also bring in a spiritual attack, a spiritual slur at Jesus. They say, surely he's possessed by a demon. It's as if they're saying, Jesus, what you are saying is so outrageous, it's so crazy only a demon could possibly think this. Only a demon-controlled person would dare to talk like you are talking, Jesus. They accuse Jesus, God, of being owned, possessed, and controlled by the evil forces of hell. Now let's keep reading, verse 49. Jesus answered, 
I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Let me stop right there. Jesus doesn't attack them back. He doesn't give another low blow to match what they just did. They don't, he doesn't insult them back. What does he do? He brings it back to God. I honor God. I don't have a demon. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jew said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you think you are? Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you, I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Now in these verses here, you can go on a thousand different sermon series and themes, and, 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 and I don't want to spend too much time here. I want to get to the I am statement. But to just summarize three main points or three things to highlight what Jesus says is this. He says, I don't seek my own glory. I Rather, I seek the Father. I seek God's glory. Jesus' mission on earth was not self-glorification. John's gospel makes that very clear. Everything Jesus does is to glorify the Father even when you're reading some of the miracles that Jesus does, Jesus doesn't heal people and say, all right, <laughs> let me have it, bow down, this is me, yes, I just opened his eyes, look how good I am. When you read some of these miracles in the gospel, it says because of what Jesus did, they glorified who? God. Jesus is not interested in self-glorification, he's interested in glorifying God the Father in heaven. Jesus actually tells them, that the Father is the one who glorifies him. Jesus doesn't seek his own glory. As Jesus glorifies the Father, the Father glorifies Jesus. We get a little glimpse here of the relationship of the Trinity, of the inner working of the Trinity. Jesus glorifies the Father, the Father glorifies the Son. The second thing that Jesus is saying here is that if you keep his word, you'll never see death. Now the Jews are still thinking physically. They say, Jesus, you have, to be, like, you have to be a demon. You're crazy. People die. Abraham died. The prophets died. How can you say people won't die? But the thing is, Jesus is not talking physical. He's talking spiritual. The Jews can't grasp that. The next thing Jesus says is that he knows the Father. He knows the Father. He keeps the Father's word. Jesus is able to claim that he knows the Father why? Because he keeps his word. He obeys and glorifies him. Again, we see that Jesus can claim that God is his father. Why? Because he does the will, he does the desire, he obeys God, unlike these Jews that he's talking to. In verse 56, Jesus keeps talking. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Physical, right? Jesus, you're not even an old person. How, how can you claim, right? How can you claim to have seen Abraham? 
Jesus brings it back, right? He brings it back to Abraham. He says, Abraham looked forward to the promise of my day, the promise of me. He rejoiced in the promises of God. He saw it and was glad. He rejoiced. He obeyed God, and Abraham was justified because of his faith in God. And it's interesting because the Jews kind of twist Jesus' words here. Jesus said that Abraham saw the coming of his day, the coming of the Savior, the coming of, of forgiveness, and rejoiced. Not that Jesus had seen Abraham, it was that Abraham saw Jesus. I just found it interesting that the Jews, even then, they, they, they just kind of twist it. They're not really listening to Jesus. And here, in verse 57, this is where we get, or sorry, 58, this is where we get the I am statement of Jesus. Finally, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, some translations, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego emi. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Again, as we read through John's Gospel, and I said this over and over again, Jesus had a divine appointment with the cross. Even the stoning here wouldn't have killed him. Nothing could thwart Jesus' plan of the cross. And over and throughout John's Gospels, we see that the Jews try to kill Jesus, and he just escapes. He, he just walks away. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And as I mentioned before, many theologians have said this is the most direct and clear, bold claim from Jesus of being God. Notice Jesus did not say, before Abraham was, I was. He said, no, 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 before Abraham was, I am. This is a direct claim of the timelessness, the eternity of Jesus. He existed from eternity past to eternity future. He's the alpha, the beginning, the omega, the end. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, the very first chapter of this gospel. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Here we see the most clear depiction, again, of John understanding who Jesus is. That Jesus is God. Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now jump down to verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's interesting, because that's what we're reading in John chapter 8. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, what? Children, sons, daughters of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. We talked about that uh, when we looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. 
grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We have Jesus going back to John chapter 8. He's talking about Abraham, who's the hero to the Jews, the hero of their faith. They attribute him as the father, right? He's our father. Jesus says, your father Abraham looked forward to my arrival. He looked forward at me and rejoiced and was glad in the promises of God. In one sense, Jesus is answering their question, are you not greater than Abraham? Yes, I am greater than Abraham. I am. I am. And what was the crowd's response? They pick up stones. They're in the temple. The, the worship place of God. Pick up stones to throw at Jesus. They're too blind to see the truth that Jesus is revealing to them. And these same truths are for us today. He calls them out. You are in spiritual slavery. You are bound. You are a slave to sin. You are in need of a Savior. Somebody has to come rescue you. You can't do it on your own. They reject that. He says, you are not the children of Abraham. You're not even the children of God. Because why? You don't do the desires of your fathers. If anything, he's saying, you're the children of Satan, the children of the devil. Why? Because you want to murder me. My word is not in you. And you are disobeying God's word. And finally, Jesus reveals, I am eternal God. Before Abraham was born, I was. Or sorry, not I was. I am. Sorry. <laughs> Again, from these I am statements, as we bring it back and as I, as, I, as I close, there's really two ways that we can respond. There's two ways that the world can respond. The first is that you can accept them as true. That Jesus is the truth. That Jesus speaks the truth. That Jesus gives us life. That Jesus is the way to heaven. That who the Son sets free is free indeed. He has the power to do that. That Jesus is the promised Savior. He is Emmanuel, God with us, who came down from heaven to save us from our sins. You can bow in humble adoration and repentant faith. You can confess Him as your Lord and your Savior. When you confess Jesus and you live as Jesus being your Lord and Savior, He's your Lord, which means what? He's your Master. You obey him, not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of force, but what? Out of love. You lovingly submit. You lovingly say, Jesus, I, I can't do this. You're my Savior. You're, you're my Lord. Your way, not my way. You're the truth. And you confess him as Savior. You live as Jesus being your Savior means what? That it's him who saved you from your sins. It's understanding there's nothing I can do to get into heaven on my own. There's nothing you can do, no good deeds, not coming to church a thousand times a day, if that's even possible, not singing songs 24-7, not because your parents are Christians. Right? The only way that we're saved is what? Through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. He is our Savior. One preacher said this, if you believe in a Jesus who is less than fully God, you have laid hold of a false Christ who cannot and will not save. A lot of people in culture like to say this, I believe there's a God. And then you say, okay, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, I think he was a good guy. I think he taught some, some great moral truths. I believe he did die, but I don't believe in the resurrection. What they're doing is they're denying the deityship of Jesus. They're denying God. 
They think it's just enough to believe in some sort of God and to be a good person. That's how we're going to get into an afterlife. That's what the world believes. This preacher says, if you believe in a Jesus who's anything less than fully God, that Jesus can't save you. That's a false Jesus. Jesus is God. The other way, right, so you can accept these statements as true, the other thing you can do is you can reject these claims. Like the Jews, you could think Jesus is crazy. He's a demon-possessed liar. There's no truth in him. And the tragic result of this rejection is eternal damnation, eternal separation from God in hell. If you look in John chapter 8, verse 24, this is the warning Jesus gives. It's a clear warning. John chapter 8, a few verses before we read, John 8, 24. Jesus says, Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he. That I am, in the Greek, ego eimi. I am he. I am God. I am Messiah. I am Savior. If you do not believe I am he, you will die in your sins. And I just want to wrap up and say this. Personally speaking, it's been a treat and a pleasure to look through these statements for myself, to study them deeper than I would usually do, to read countless books, to look at what it means to be bread of life, light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the true vine. And I hope and I, and I pray that as I've been preaching and as we see Jesus, there's not a doubt in your mind that we believe Jesus is the I am that Jesus is God, that Jesus is our Savior. And if we know this as truth, we should be living it out and we should be telling others about it. Why? Apart from Christ, if they're not in Christ, they're going to hell. They'll, be, they'll die in their sins, as Jesus says. So let's fuel that to what? Preach the gospel. Share the good news. As we go out and we leave here, I pray that we're transformed and that we're confident and we know Jesus as the great I am. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you boldly proclaimed, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, and before Abraham was, I am. Jesus, I pray if there's anybody here that's doubting your word, that's doubting your claims, Lord, I pray you reveal yourself to them. I pray that they have boldness to ask, boldness to share their struggle in, your, in these claims. Lord, I pray that if we do believe these I am statements, if we believe that you are who you truly say you are, I pray that we leave here transformed. We leave here joyful. We leave here knowing we have a Savior who loves us, that God is with us. He came down from heaven to earth to die for us. I pray that we can leave here and live out our faith. We love you, Jesus. We praise you as the great I am. In your name we pray. Amen.